Well, this morning uh, we're going to begin our Easter series entitled Three. And we're going to be talking about three days in the last week of Jesus' life. We're going to talk about three moments in each of those days. And then we're going to talk about three decisions that we need to make in light of what Jesus has done. How many of you recognize that the life that Jesus lived and the death that Jesus died and the resurrection that Jesus accomplished literally demands a response from us? Jesus' life demands a response. We cannot look at Jesus and do nothing. If you do nothing in response to Jesus Christ, then you've actually done something, right? You've rejected him. And there's a realization that his life demands a response from us. So we're going to talk about that today as we kind of dive into this series. This morning, the first day we're going to look at in the last week of Jesus' life is the first day of that last week. It's what we call Palm Sunday. Uh, and Palm Sunday is a pretty significant day in the life and the ministry of Jesus. So let's look in Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to start in Matthew 21. Uh, we're going to transition over into the Gospel of Luke, Luke 19, and then we're going to come back to Matthew 21. We're going to kind of read through almost the entire day of what we call Palm Sunday, and we're going to use kind of two different accounts, Matthew's account and Luke's account of what happened on that day, and we're going to pull some great truth out of the Word of God this morning. So Matthew chapter 21, we're going to start in verse 1. The Bible says, Now they drew near, now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethage, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately, immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. And I put in parentheses there, Zechariah 9-9, because that's the prophecy that is going to be fulfilled as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And Jesus quotes Zechariah 9.9 here in verse 5. And here's what the Bible says. Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt and the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on them and set Jesus on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches, palm branches, that's why we call it Palm Sunday, cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, which means praise be to God. Hosanna, praise God, praise God to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then Luke accounts something that Matthew doesn't say. He says, And some of the Pharisees called to Jesus from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city, Jerusalem, and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave upon you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. I want to pause right there for just a second. Look at that last little phrase, because you did not know the time 
of your visitation. So here is Jesus riding into Jerusalem. He's overlooking the city. He stops. He begins to weep over the city. And then Jesus makes this declaration. He says the destruction that is about to come is going to come upon the city of Jerusalem and the people and their children. Literally, he was declaring what would happen in 70 AD. 70 years after his birth, the city of Jerusalem would be leveled to the ground. And Jesus is literally prophesying of what is to come. But then he makes this statement. He says this devastation and destruction is going to come because you did not know the day or the time of your visitation. I want to just challenge us with this little thought this morning. I believe that every day of our lives, we have divine moments. I believe there are some appointed times where there are some divine visitations where God wants to show up and show out in your life. Amen? I believe every day of our life, there are some divine visitations. I'm thankful that God lives in us. I'm thankful that God works through us. But I'm also thankful that there are some divine visitations in our life. Amen. You ever had one of those moments where God just showed up and showed out, where supernaturally God intervened in your life in a way? Let me just encourage you in something today. Don't be so distracted and don't be so busy that you miss your moment. Just a couple of weeks ago in my quiet time, the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, Keith, he said, I want you to walk slowly through the crowd. And when he said that, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Years ago, I, 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 was, I was studying the life of a pastor, and, and he pastored this mega church with thousands of people. And he made this statement. He said he learned early on in the ministry that the Lord taught him. He said, on Sunday morning, when you show up, there's thousands of people. He said, I want you just to walk slowly through the crowd. I want you to take time to, to talk to everybody you can talk to and look at everybody you can look to and greet everybody you can greet. And when somebody says, Pastor, pray for me, he said the Lord taught him just to go ahead and stop right there and just say a 30-second prayer. He said, because I knew I would never remember on Monday morning all the prayer requests that I got from hundreds of people on Sunday. He said, so it literally just became a standard of my life and my ministry, he said, to walk slowly through the crowd. And two weeks ago, the Holy Spirit said, Keith, I want you to live not just Sunday morning that way. I want you to live your life that way. I want, you to, I want you to not be so distracted, not be so busy, not be so focused on the task at hand that you miss the divine moments of visitation. Because there are moments in our lives where God just kind of shows up in unexpected, unexplained, and many times even uninvited ways. And if we are aware, if we are alert, if we are attentive, if we're walking slowly through the crowd of life, we will see those moments. And I'm just going to tell you something. We can embrace them. We can embrace them. We don't have to be like the children of Israel that missed their day of visitation. We don't have to miss the moments that God has for us. As Jennifer just kind of beat that drum this morning of being still and being still and being still and getting still in the presence of God. I, I just want to echo that again to you this morning. There is power in the stillness and walking slowly through the crowd. Because for those of you that know me, I, I, love, I love to do things. I love to accomplish tasks. And as soon as we get a victory, I'm thinking about the next victory. As soon as we cross the finish line, I'm looking at the next finish line. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? How are we going to do what we just did better and bigger and faster and greater than we ever did it before? And the realization, if we're not careful, if we're not really careful, we will be so driven by the desire to cross the finish line that we'll miss the moments along the way. That God wants to show up and show out in our lives. So I just wanted to pause this morning. The Holy Spirit checked my heart. He said, just, just pause. Yeah. 
And just, just challenge us today. Don't be distracted. Don't be so busy that you miss those moments. Because if you'll, if you'll look for them, I promise you every day they'll be there. There will be a moment every day of your life where God wants to show up. Some will be really big. Some will be seemingly small. But there will be visitations from heaven where God wants to intervene in your life in powerful ways. Amen? Let's go back to Matthew there. Matthew 21 verse 10. It says, And when he, Jesus, had come into Jerusalem, and all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of, from Nazareth of Galilee. And then Jesus went into the temple of God, drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And then he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And then the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple, and he healed them. And then the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. And they were indignant. And they said to Jesus, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Look at that first point on your outline, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, the very first Palm Sunday, begins with a prophecy, right? It begins with Zechariah 9.9, where God prophesies that the King of Israel, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, would come, and He would come riding on the fold of a donkey. And so I want you to recognize something this morning. I want you to recognize that there are over 300, some scholars say over 800 Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled through the life and ministry of Jesus. The, the statistical analysis of that is simply this. It is literally almost mathematically impossible for one person to fulfill those hundreds and hundreds of prophecies, but yet Jesus fulfilled them all. If you want to know the mathematical number, I believe the accurate number is a one with 17 zeros after it. That is the probability that one person could fulfill all those prophecies, and yet Jesus did. And we see that this Palm Sunday, this first day and the last week of Jesus' life, begins with this prophecy from the Old Covenant declaring that there would be a coming king who would usher in a new covenant. And not only is there a prophecy, but look, there's also a celebration. On the road, the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Praise be to God. And they're worshiping Him. And, and they're laying their clothes. And they're waving their palm branches. And then Jesus comes into the temple. And the children are crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. And all of a sudden, you see something. You see that this day of celebration is happening. And the people and the children are declaring the praises of God. They're worshiping. Worshipping King Jesus as he makes his possession into the city. And, and something significant you need to see is, is that in both cases, on the road and in the temple, the religious leaders rebuked Christ and challenged Christ to silence the people. And I, I want to just challenge you with a thought today. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll allow a religious spirit to silence radical praise. 
Every time you see radical praise in the Bible, you see a religious sect of people that are saying they ought not cry like that. They ought to be quiet. They need to shut up. Jesus, why don't you tell them to be quiet? Hey, somebody get these kids out of here. And every time throughout the Bible that you see radical praise, you see this religious spirit that wants to rise up and begin to critique and criticize those that are declaring the greatness and the glory of God. Several years ago, I was at a conference and and uh, during worship, there was a gentleman up front. He was worshiping, and he was, I mean, he was over the top. <laughs> and I remember sitting there as I was worshiping the Lord, and this guy was almost a distraction to me. And I remembered thinking, Lord, that's a little much. It's a little much. And the Holy Spirit, I mean, immediately checked my heart. And he said, don't you ever... <laughs> Don't you ever critique someone's praise until you understand their pain. Amen. Don't you ever critique their praise until you understand their pain. Because if you'd been through what he'd been through, he said you'd be dancing like a wild man too. The realization is if we're not careful, we'll get religious. And when somebody breaks out and something out of the ordinary happens and somebody's just a little bit too exuberant and a little bit too crazy and a little bit just too much for us, we will automatically assume that they're wrong, out of order, or just should sit down and dial it back a little bit. The truth is, if we gave God the praise that God deserved every Sunday, we'd blow the roof off this place. Amen. The truth is that if you gave God your greatest praise, it wouldn't be enough. That's the truth. The truth is radical praise and radical worship ought to fill our hearts and our lives. And, and let me just be honest with you. you. You don't have to shout and you don't have to scream and you don't have to dance and you don't have to hoop and you don't have to holler, but you can. <laughs> Amen. And we ought not critique those that don't, and we ought not critique those that do. And I think praise ought not just happen on Sunday. It ought to happen on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. But you know what? When we come together here, this place is created for praise. This place is created for worship. This place is created for people to get radical and crazy about who God is. It's amazing you go to an Alabama-Auburn football game and nobody thinks those dudes are weird that are painted red and yellow and red and white and orange and blue, right? They just almost look normal nowadays. Pastor Keith, what are you advocating? I'm advocating that you give God everything you got. I'm advocating that we ought to celebrate who he is. We ought to celebrate the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And again, I'm not saying you got to be like anybody, but you ought to be free to worship God as the Spirit of God moves upon you. Amen? Amen? I'm not talking about craziness and chaos. I'm talking about radical worship and intimate praise that presses in to know God and declare that He is good. Come on, somebody. Amen. He is good. He is good. Amen? So it was a day of celebration. It was a day of declaration. We're going to talk about that. Jesus makes a declaration on this day, this first Palm Sunday, that is, that is unique and powerful. It was a day of cleansing as he cleans out the temple. It was a day of healing as the blind and the lame are made whole 
by the power of God. So let's talk about these three moments real quick. Look at this. So in one day, in this one day, on that first Palm Sunday, Jesus declares his identity. He establishes his authority and he demonstrates his love. He declares his identity. He establishes his authority. And then he demonstrates his love. And I want us to look at those three elements today in this first day in the life of Jesus. Let's talk about his identity. Jesus declares his identity. His triumphant entry into Jerusalem openly declares that he is the king of the Jews. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah, literally the savior of the world. When Jesus sent for the colt, he was boldly declaring, I am the one you have been looking for. I am the one you have been looking for. On this first Palm Sunday, Jesus declares his identity. He basically says, he says, you know the law and the prophets, you know everything you've been looking for, everything you've been believing for, everything you've been hoping for for thousands of years. Guess what, guys? I'm it. That's what he said on that first Palm Sunday as he rode into Jerusalem on that fold of a donkey. He walked into town that day or rode into town that day publicly declaring that he was the Messiah. He was the promised one. He was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And he was come to make all things brand new. He said, I am he. I'm the one. Now, when you consider this, this is significant because if you look at the life and ministry of Jesus up to this moment, you know what you find out? Up to this moment in Jesus' life and ministry, he kept his identity on the down low. <laughs> he kind of kept it secret. He kept it secret. He kept it hidden. As a matter of fact, when he would cast out the demons, y'all remember reading this? He'd cast out the demons and the demons would start declaring who he was. You're the son of God. You're the son of the most high. You're the Christ. And Jesus would rebuke them and tell them to be silent. And then Jesus would heal people. And he'd say, and don't tell anybody who healed you. Now they never listened. <laughs> but isn't it amazing that for most of Jesus' earthly ministry, he kept his identity hidden. He kept his identity secret. He kept it on the down low. He wasn't trying to promote himself. He didn't have a Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, any other Instagram, I mean, social media post page where he was celebrating who he was. There was no selfie Jesus. <laughs> Look at me. I'm the one. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, on the first day of the last week of Jesus' life, he rides into town. And all that changes. Over 300, I told you, over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled as being the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Almost all of those prophecies were fulfilled outside of his control. Think about it. Jesus did not get to pick who his parents were. Jesus did not get to pick the town that he was born in. Jesus did not get to decide that Herod would kill all the kids two years old and under trying to annihilate him. Jesus did not get to pick that his parents, when he was a baby, would flee to Egypt. Jesus did not get to pick that he would be raised by a carpenter. Jesus did not get to pick the fact that, his, that, that one of his disciples would betray him. He did not get to pick the fact that he would be crucified and nailed on a cross. He did not get to pick the fact where he would be buried and who he would be crucified between. And yet all those prophecies Jesus fulfilled were totally out of his control. But something happened this day. When Jesus said, go get the donkey, <laughs> this is one prophecy that I'm aware of that Jesus purposely, intentionally, 
fulfilled. He said, I want to make sure that when I come into town today, everybody knows who I am. I want to make sure there is no doubt in anybody's mind that I am declaring I am the king of the Jews. I am the Messiah. I am the savior of the world. He initiates this prophecy to be fulfilled in his life because Jesus on Palm Sunday was literally presenting himself to the world as the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Now, now this day, this first Palm Sunday is an interesting day. On the Jewish calendar, it is the 10th day of Nizon. And I told Dr. Forrest, I said, I'm going to sound like you today. I'm going to be really smart. 10th day of Nizon. Don't that sound smart? 10th day of Nizon on the Jewish calendar. And, and the 10th day of Nizon on the Jewish calendar was a significant day because four days later on the 14th day of Nizon would be the Passover. It would be the day that Jesus would die. It would be the day they would offer up the sacrificial lambs as a sacrifice. It would be the day they would put the blood over their doorposts as a symbolic remembering what God did as he brought them out of Egypt and the death angel passed over them. But on the 10th day of Nizon, which was Palm Sunday, which was the day that Jesus declared himself and rode into Jerusalem, something would happen in the Jewish people's lives. On the 10th day, they would pick a lamb from their flock that was going to be sacrificed four days later, and they would literally bring it into their house. And for the next four days, they would rub it, and they would pet it, and they would sleep with it, and they would eat with it, and it would live with them, and they would examine every element of that lamb because for those four days, they were to examine the lamb and they would live with it. They would bring it into the house because on the 14th day, they had to offer a lamb that was without spot and without blemish. It couldn't be a defected lamb. It had to be a perfect lamb. So for four days, they would bring it into their house so they could examine this lamb. Jerusalem literally means the house of bread. So on the 10th day of Nizon, when the lamb would be brought into the house, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the house of bread, and presents himself as the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And for the next four days, if you read your Bible, you will find out he was examined by everybody. The people examined him. The priests examined him. The scribes and the rulers examined him. The religious leaders examined him. The governmental powers examined him until finally Herod said, I find no fault in this man. Why? Because he was a perfect lamb. And on that tenth day, that first Palm Sunday, Jesus presents himself to the world to declare I am the one you've been looking for. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, I'm, an, I'm one of the ways. He said, I'm the only way. And on that first Palm Sunday, he boldly declared his identity. I am the one you've been looking for. Amen? Don't look any further. Don't look any longer. Don't look anywhere else. I'm the one that the law and the prophets predicted. And I'm here. He declared it that day. Not only did he declare his identity, look at that next point. But he also establishes his authority. I love the fact that the first thing Jesus did when he came to Jerusalem is he went beeline right to church. Right, He went to the house of God. He went to the temple of God. And he made his way into the temple. And the first thing Jesus does when he gets in the temple is he starts cleaning, cleansing the temple. Look what it says. It says that he cleansed the temple. He healed the blind and the lame. And he rebukes the religious leaders of that day. He goes in there and turns over their tables and begins to drive them, literally drive them out of the house of God. 
Why? Because Jesus was establishing his authority. I want you to look with me in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible says this. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. For by his death, Jesus opened a new and a living way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, Jesus on that day was declaring his authority as the great high priest. I am the great high priest who rules over the house of God. Verse 22 says, Therefore let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure Water. Jesus established his authority. When he cleansed the temple and he rebuked the religious leaders for their hypocrisy, Jesus literally was doing this. He was driving out, hear me, he was driving out an old system of religion and sacrifice. And he was bringing in a new covenant through his own blood so that we could enter boldly into the presence of God. So that no man could go where no man had gone before. Into the holiest of holies. Under the old covenant, every year they made sacrifices for their sins. And their sins were never forgiven. They were just covered and atoned for for one more year. And every year there was a day of remembrance. I had to remember my sins and roll them forward. Remember my sins and roll them forward. Remember my sins and roll them forward. And all those sins had been remembered and rolled forward for the day when the perfect Lamb of God, the great high priest, would come and he would atone for the sins of the world. And he would not only forgive us, but he would cleanse our heart and our conscience so that we could move past the sin and shame of yesterday, walk in the power of God today so we could embrace the future and the hope that he has for us. He established his authority. He cleansed the house of God. He drove out an old system, began to establish a new system that would be settled and established through his own blood. He healed the blind and the lame, ushering in the power of God to give sight to the blind and to give mobility to those that were lame, literally declaring that I have authority over this house because I am the great high priest over the house of God. Amen? He has authority to do the things he has purchased and paid for to do. And he established that that day in the temple. The third thing I want you to see is not only did he declare his identity, not only did he establish his authority, but he actually demonstrated his love. He weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps over the people. He weeps over their children. The very people who reject him and crucify him. He weeps over them. Jesus demonstrated his love. As I was studying this, I just had a real simple thought. We don't cry about what we don't care about. We don't cry about what we don't care about. You have never wept bitterly over something that was insignificant to you. Bitter tears are reserved for deep love. Bitter tears are reserved for deep love. The fact that we weep is evidence that we have loved. And the more deeply we weep many times, the more deeply we have loved. Tears are not signs of loss. Tears are signs of love. Every time you attend a funeral, 
and you see tears running down people's faces, those tears are not signs of loss. Those tears are signs of love that the person they're saying a temporal goodbye to was deeply, greatly loved. And Jesus wept. He wept over Jerusalem. He wept over the city. He wept over the people. He wept over their children. And I believe that prophetically he looked through time and space and he saw me and you right here. He saw our world in 2021 and I believe he wept over the United States of America. I believe he wept over our nation and the nations of the world as he saw those who would reject him, as he saw those who would turn their back on him, as he saw those who would walk away from him. And he saw the coming destruction that would be reserved for those who rejected the gift and the grace of God. And he wept. He demonstrated his love. I, I love John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 10 through 12 says this. He came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. And even they rejected him. And I just want to pause right there and say this. It didn't stop him. He came into the world he created and the world didn't recognize him. He came to his very own people, specifically speaking there of the Jews, and even they rejected him, but it didn't stop him. It didn't stop him. His love was not based on the condition of our response to it. Jesus does not love you conditionally. He loves you unconditionally. And he demonstrated that love on a cross when he died for me and you. So he offered the same love to everyone, whether they would embrace it or reject it, whether they would accept it or walk away from it. It did not deter him. What an awesome love. I'm just going to be really honest with you this morning. If I knew I was going to die for somebody and they were going to reject the sacrifice that I was going to make, I may not die for them. <laughs> I might question, are they worth my death? Are they worth my sacrifice? But I am so thankful that Jesus was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that even though they rejected him, it didn't stop him. I love the very next verse, verse 12. It says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Look at that last point on your outline today. Here's our decision. Because what Jesus did demands a decision. So here's the decision we have to make. Number one, is Jesus who he says he is? You have to decide that. Is he who he says he is? Is he the savior of the world? Is he the redeemer? Is he the hope of the world? Is he the only way to God the Father? Is he the only hope of salvation? Is he who he says he is? Is he King Jesus? Is he really who he says he is? Because if he is... You've got to make a decision based on that. You've got to make a decision. And you might say, well, Pastor Keith, you know, probably most of us here in this room and many of us watching online this morning have probably already made that decision. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And let me ask you a question. Does your life reflect it? Does your life reflect His kingship? Does your life reflect His lordship? Does your life reflect what you and I say as Christians we believe? Because it should. And I realize there are some here today, and there may be many watching online, that have never really acknowledged that Jesus is who He says He is. They've never really came to that place that says He is the only hope that I have. And maybe that's where you are today. And if that's where you are, we're going to give you a moment in just a minute. 
to make Jesus the Lord of your life. But even if you've already made that decision, you've got to ask yourself on a daily basis, if I believe that he is who he says he is, does my life reflect that? Does my life reflect his lordship and his kingship? The second thing I want to ask you is, not only is he who he is, who he says he is, but can he do what he says he can do? Does he really have authority? Does he really have all authority on heaven and earth? Can he really forgive me? Can he really cleanse me? Can he really wash my sins away? Can he really give me a brand new start and a brand new beginning? Is his blood and his power greater than my bondage? My question to you today is this. If you believe that he is all powerful and that he has all authority so that he can do all things, then why are you still bound by the things he died to set you free from? Why are you still bound to the things that he died to set you free from? Why are you still living short of the life that God called you to live? Why are you still holding on to something that God said let go of? And why have you let go of some things that God said I want you to hold on to? Does he really have the authority? Can he really do what he said he can do? Can he really forgive you? Can he really cleanse you? Can he really make you whole? Can he really do anything that needs to be done? Can he really heal? Can he really deliver? Can he really save? Because if you say, yes, I believe he can, then, then why are you living by him? And last but not least, does he really care about you? Does he really love you? See, that's important. See, it, it's one thing for you to think that God kind of loves everybody, but it's another thing for you to really believe that God loves you. See, that really is the game changer. It's one thing for me to say God loved the world, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it's a whole other ball game when I say that God so loved me. That I actually believe that God loves me and that God cares about me. And that I'm significant and I'm important in the eyes of God. And that he loved me enough to send his son Jesus that I might have life. That I might know that he is who he is and that I might experience the power that God has. And the authority that he has over everything. That nothing can keep me bound because he has come to set me free. See, a God that's all-powerful but not loving is a dictator that crushes the people under his authority. But a God that's all-powerful and all-loving is the kind of God I want to know. It's the God of the Bible. It's the God of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus himself reflecting the love of the Father, making known to us that we're not abandoned, we have been adopted, we are loved by God. So I want us just to bow our heads today. If you're watching online, right where you're at, just bow your heads for just a moment. If you're a Christian, I want to just challenge you just to do business right now with God. Holy Spirit's already speaking to you. God's already illuminated some things maybe He's wanting to do in your life, maybe a deeper work. Maybe there's some things you need to let go of today. Maybe you need to submit some things to the authority of Christ. You need to come up under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You need to let the love of God just wash over you afresh and clean today, Lord. Just, just a, new, a new refreshing from His presence. But maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, and you realize, Pastor Keith, I, I've never done that first thing you talked about just a moment ago. I've never truly surrendered my life to Jesus. I, I've kind of put him in the category that he's a good thing, he's a great thing, he's an important thing, but he's not the only thing. But I believe today he is the only way to heaven. And today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. 
And I want to follow him from this day forward. I believe that only Jesus can forgive me of my sins. I believe only Jesus can give me the gift of eternal life. And I believe that only Jesus has paid the price and loved me enough to bring me out of the things that I found myself in so I can enter into the life that he's purposed for me. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I want to be saved. I want to be born again. And I want to accept that gift right now. If you're here in person or you're watching online, I want you just to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith that says, today's my day, Pastor Keith. Today I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. If you're watching online, just hit that little hand emoji or just type in that comment box, I'm raising my hand. If you're here in person, just slip your hand up. Don't be ashamed. Today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Today I want to trust in Him. I believe He is who He says He is. I believe He can do what He said He can do. And I believe he loved me enough to never leave me or abandon me. If that's you this morning, right now, this is your moment. If that's you online, don't pass up this opportunity. Because the King of kings and Lord of lords has come looking for you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, let's just pray this prayer together. Let's say it out loud. Everybody repeat it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. The King, the Messiah, my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive through faith in Jesus the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. I confess that Jesus is Lord of my life. And I commit my life to you today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord one thank praise today. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you this morning. Have a great day. Remember, invite somebody this week. Bring somebody with you next Sunday. Uh, And let's celebrate the one who died for us. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord.